right there. Oh, look at you. You got your water. So, yeah. There you go. Listen, that's how you do it. Um, well, uh, this is a special one. And I don't even care what type of controversy I get, what people say. I know I've had over 130-something people on this podcast. But uh, this is truly a special one. Um, I'm really excited to have this person on. Um, it's been a long time coming, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's been a long time coming. Um, and so, um, you know, I normally start, and I know that you sent it over. And I mean, if we talk about bios and the things that uh, this individual has done, um, I think that we would we would be here for days. And I think it's beautiful. And we're going to get to all your beautiful work and your words and everything. But I think that a true measurement of a person is what people say when they're not in the room and or what they're saying. So Shiraz is passionate and hardworking creative. It's a pleasure to work with her and her work ethic is unquestionable. She's an exceptional creative that translates strategy into emotional advertising. Her writing skills are keen when it comes to being fearless. I love this woman. She's independent. She's strong. She's willful. Shiraz is truly a gifted writer. She is a no-nonsense, stick-it-to-you type of person, but gets it done with a smile. All things that people have said about you. And then me, 2014, I call a creative genius what Shiraz Gorman looks like on a whole nother intellectual level. She is not only someone that is a teacher, but she's creative and she also loves people. Shiraz, everybody appreciates you and adores you. And with that being said, my good friend, welcome to A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, wow, I, I truly appreciate those words. That is, yeah. that is amazing. And wow, 2014? 2014. 2014 is, I think that's what we could stamp as like the last time that we talked. Where does the time go? It goes a lot. Of, it, it, it goes a lot of ways. It goes. <laughs> it could go. Trust me. It goes. Okay. It goes. Listen, um, 2020 was a long decade. That one year was, yes. was a really long decade. So, yeah. Absolutely. You know, um, but like I said, I, I think that it's absolutely outstanding. And at the core and heart of who you are, um, you are a storyteller. But I also love that you call yourself a memory keeper. Where does that title come from? Actually, that title um, was bestowed upon me by a good friend of mine, Michael Allen, here in St. Louis. Um, Michael Allen does a lot of work around architecture, the history of architecture. Um, he teaches at Washington University. I come in and I do guest lectures for him um, because he does this very interesting thing where he will bring in poets and writers and artists, you know, those of us who do basically what is called memory work, where we talk about our neighborhoods and our communities and the changing landscape, but many of us do it through poetry, right? Yeah. Or, you know, other literary means or dramatic means. Um, so I remember I was, um, I was guest lecturing one time and he actually introduced me as a memory keeper and it just clicked. I was like, oh, got it. Yeah. yeah. So I have to I have to give Michael Allen credit for that. I love that. That's beautiful. Well, shout out to Michael Allen because <laughs> I think I think that that's phenomenal. And you know, one of the things that I've always loved about the way that you have navigated not only life, but also as a creative individual, which you know, I'm sure, and maybe we'll talk about this, you know, where you, you could get lost. I never put a title on you. I just looked at you as always Shiraz, like, you know, you're doing exactly what you want to do, how you want to do it, and getting it done, you know, at the same time. But I do think that we live in a very title-driven society. 
Yes. Um, and to that point, um, how how would you encourage someone to really explore their creative identity without being stuck to a title? Ooh. I guess I would say just show up as yourself. Mm -hmm. Show up as yourself and don't feel the need to explain yourself. Because oftentimes when we get into spaces, um, we feel as though that we have to, and, you know, and also depending on the space it's required of you, right? Um, where people are like, oh, what do you do? You know, and who, who are you? And it's like, well, that's an existential <laughs> question, right? It's like, oh, you're saying existential. That's an exit for me. I'm right. Sorry. It's like if you start off like that, I get it. I'm I'm checked out because yeah. you have ignored me, you know. Right. You know, and but we have created a society in in such a way to where when we even go into spaces. You know, it's like, oh, sh who should I introduce myself as right now, like in this space? So I would just say, um, just reject it. Reject yeah. it, you know? And it's like, I, I am who I am and that that's it. You know, and I know that sounds, you know, that sounds like, oh yeah, that's great, but right um but i i do encourage people just to try it just to try it like see see what a day would be like if you rejected labels right the ones that you wanted to impose upon yourself or the ones that spaces and places and people would like to impose upon you right yeah absolutely i agree with that and you know the reason why i ask you is because i do think that many titles have been placed upon you, you yeah. know, whether that's where you're working, whether you're at Miami Ad School, when you were a portfolio student, that's what you're referred to, whether you're at Burrell Communications, when you were working there as a copywriter, Whiting Kennedy, still another place, you know, as a copywriter. Um, and then even outside of that, you know, it's like, then you go into this lane of being an author, which at the core and heart of how I look at you, I'm like, that is exactly who you are, is a writer and a brilliant one. So I wanna talk a little bit about in the midst of loving, um, if we could take things back. I love that book, not only because is it a beautiful collection of your 14 years plus of poems and storytelling, but also from a bias standpoint, one of my favorite art directors and also you know designers, Kamal Collins did the cover. Can you talk a little bit about that book? Well, so the cover art is actually by my dear friend, Christopher Birch, who is an artist um, in San Francisco. He has very large murals up um, in San Francisco. And the interesting thing about that particular painting is that that painting came about at a time where Chris was like doing these portraits of his friends, but he wouldn't tell us. Mm -hmm. So it was a um, it was an art gallery here in St. Louis that this arts collective called Arts Dim Art Art Dimensions um, that they had, and it was like Midtown and that whole bit. And I was performing that evening. Mm -hmm. I had no idea <laughs> that. <laughs> I had no idea yeah. that this portrait was in this gallery. So I'm standing in the middle of the floor and I'm performing and I kind of slightly turned and I saw myself and I like paused. Wow. And it was just like, whoa, you know? Um, so that that's still like one of the wildest things to me because I had never had at that point in my life, I had never had anybody like create art, you know, yeah. like, you know, in my honor. And I was just like, yo, this is, this is wild. So Kamal actually designed, he did the design setting. Okay. Awesome. The awesome. So that beautiful font, 
um, how everything is laid out. Like, I've known Kamal for so long. We went to Miami Ad School together. Um, like, he he just, he got me. Like, it was like, here it is. And I was like, yes, this is yeah. how the cover needs to be laid out because, you know, that particular font is not competing with the image Absolutely. and this flow so beautifully um, on that cover. So yeah, just want to give a, a little, you know, clear up like the different pieces because that book truly was like a family affair when it came to picking the cover art, um, picking the fonts, editing the poems and everything. It was just like my close friends because and I think everybody can relate to this that's released anything, whether if it's a book or, you know, done a play. Yeah. You're kind of freaking out because you can't believe you're actually doing it. Yeah. And it's a very vulnerable space to be in. Yeah. So I was just like, man, I need to keep, I need to have my people close, right? I got to have my people close for this process. Um, because if I don't have them close, if I don't include them in this process, I probably will get scared and I won't do it, right? Yeah. Because um, yeah. that particular collection is very personal. Yeah, absolutely. I think beautifully said. And also, too, I think it's encouraging for people that do want to start or, you know, write a book or to your point, do a play. It's like sometimes, you know, especially if it's was, was that your first one was that your first release or. Yeah. And especially your first release, I would think that you would want the family close and the friends close because it's such a strenuous process. So um, beautiful. And um, if you all have time, definitely check it out. Once again, it's called In the Mist of Loving, um, and it's a collection of poems. So I tell you to check it out. And um, you can even check it out on her site. So we will do that. Um, so you, know, you mentioned uh, the book and the process of the book. But like I said, you have a long history of working within the creative industry, whether that is plays, which we're going to get to um, working at Widen or even Burrell Communications. Now, where you sit with years of experience, how would you describe the perfect creative collaborator? Ooh. I would describe the perfect creative collaborator is someone who I can have fun with. <laughs> yeah. We can, and we can go there on, on deep, like very deep topics. Right. So, yeah, I think, cause I think that's, that's at the end of the day, that's what it's about. Right. You know, I, I find it very difficult, um, to create from a space of like angst or anxiety, right? Um, or over seriousness. And I'm and I'm saying this as a person who was overly serious, right? Um, and I had to learn how to how to chip away at that, right? Um, because I think that's something when you are a person like myself where I'm the first person ever in my family to be in the ad industry, right? And so there's a, a layer, right, of a protective layer, I would say, that I placed on myself where it was like, I have to be on point all the time, right? And I have to be serious about what I do, because if I am not serious about what I do, then people will, you know, underestimate me, all, all this BS that yeah. I, I fed myself, right? And then it's just like, you know, it it, it really ain't gotta be that, right? Yeah. You don't you don't have to be that. However, yeah. I also had to honor who I am. I also had to honor like my personality type. My personality type is the type of personality where I will listen to something. Like say for instance, um, I had someone call me about a project that they were working on and they were like, hey, I just need some, you know, I need to bounce this off of you. And it was in regards to like a recycling program that this particular company wanted to start. And, you know, they told me their concept and I was like, are you familiar with greenwashing? And mm -hmm. they were like, 
woo, you know? And I was like, because we have to keep the client honest, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, thinking these things because, and also the perfect creative partner will be able to take pushback and challenge, right? Because sometimes we get very dreamy, you know, about the things that we're working on, but then we really have to reel it back to, okay, what is the, what is the truth? What is the social cultural reality out here that this client is asking our work to exist in and yeah. is honest? Is it true? Right. And we have to run things through those, those filters while, you know, having all the fun in the world around, you know, these concepts and ideas, you know, but we, we really have to be unafraid to take it there because I also think that, you know, there's beauty and there's the possibility of making something great when you choose to go a little, little bit deeper and not just kind of, you know, play on the surface, which sadly enough, a lot of clients just want us to play on the surface and versus being like, yeah, but there's a whole world and culture and people, right? We're communicating with people yeah. who are living these lives. Um, and we, we have to go there. So yeah, that somebody with that type of posture where it's like, we can just, we can grapple with it all. We can pull together and then still make it happen. Yeah, beautifully said. I appreciate you bringing that up. And I mean, that's you. You're the person <laughs> that, you know, you want to collaborate with. And, um, you know, I, I I appreciate you being so vulnerable and sharing, you know, your emotions of like the work that you had to do as a creative in certain areas, because I think that that's very much so there. Um, I, I was the same way. I mean, you know, I, I changed a little bit, but I still am jumping on tables to present something or to do it. But, you know, because that's me. But also I realized, okay, tone it down. And actually we have a very good mutual friend, uh, Adrian Octavius Walker, trust me that he, he tells me, Tom, I do, this ain't, no, 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 not not right now. <laughs> Gotta bring it <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So shout out to Adrian too, if you're listening. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I have been so honored to do this podcast, to have it. I'm sure that you've seen a lot of the different guests that come on. I mean, it's it's literally a, a melting plot pot of everyone that's creative and a lot of people that we're that we mutually know, you know, from way, way back. Yeah. Um, but something among I say, you know, a lot of the individuals that were in that 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 period of let's say. 2000 to 2010 of advertising that are no longer doing it. They, they, they sometimes say, um, I, then I got out of advertising. Mm -hmm. When they say that, what are they, what are they actually saying? I think it depends on the person, okay. you know, I, for me at one point when I felt like I got out of advertising, um, it was mainly around the culture, the different cultures of agencies, right? Mm -hmm. Because I'm an ad geek. I won't ever be, <laughs> I won't ever be out of advertising. Like my brother who has passed on, you know, he would call me and he would be like, yo, have you seen that commercial? Like, let's talk about this, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you know, I have another good friend where we send each other, we send each other spots, like, you know, and it's just, it's just a thing, right? It's kind of embedded in me because I always say I came up during the golden era of advertising. I came up in the 80s, right? You know, all these amazing PSAs and ads and stuff, which, you know, kind of said, oh, that's, that's a thing that mm -hmm. I can potentially do in life, right? Didn't know, <laughs> did not know yeah. that I was actually, you know, going to be on that other side. But I would say for me, when I say that, you know, when I say that I stepped away from the ad industry, it was the industry, right? And I don't, I don't know if I've ever said I've stepped away from advertising. If I'm being clear about my language, I think it's always been, oh, I stepped away from the ad industry. Got it. Okay. 
yeah from it yeah yeah yeah. and i think you know i i think that um even now it's 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 expanded to the standpoint that it's a whole nother monster now (laughs) you know what i mean in terms of like i think overall approach i think what's happening there but um i like to i like to bring that up especially for individuals that do so much and speaking of doing so much i mean congratulations on the run of the color purple um yeah that is absolutely beautiful i mean uh, just even any association to that piece is so timeless i don't even care by the way next time let me know if y'all need somebody to even do the lights i just want to <laughs> i don't care i just want to touch it i just want to touch the stage or the piece or something but um we're calling this the best of 2023 and um by the time that this episode would have aired we i'm sure either it would have already been in theaters or taking place um, in terms of the musical uh, release with Fantasia as well as Taraji P. Henson. Really, really excited about it. But can you talk about your experience um, with The Color Purple? Ooh. One, I have to say that the cast and crew, hands down, some of the most beautiful and brilliant people I have ever worked with, ever. When you want to talk about creative collaboration, right? Somehow our cast came together and just clicked. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, so much so that I remember being in the dressing room. I think it was like tech, tech night, right? And that's where you you run the play to see if there are any hiccups, you know, with lighting, sound, et cetera, lines, but you are doing the whole play before an audience. And- And do they know that it's a practice or is that just for- Yeah, yeah. And, but, oh, babies, people still be watching for, you know, For that entertainment <laughs> reason, right? Yeah, they still they still wanted to be on point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and when we were out there, we you perform it, you know, to a T. Um, I was in the dressing room, and I was like, "This is wild!" And our lead, Soraya, who played, did a masterful job of playing Seely. She said not all theater companies are like this, right? Because here it is, that was like my first, one of my first major productions. Like, yes, I was in a production with the Black Rep here in St. Louis um, years ago, but those rehearsals and everything were like so different because it was like a gala, gala performance, right? But this is like, you're spending months together you're practicing, you're rehearsing, you're learning choreography and you're singing like nonstop, right? And Soraya was like, normally it's not like this. Like we would help each other get dressed. Um, Little known fact, I don't wear makeup. I had to learn how to do my makeup. It was my castmate, Karina, who played Squeak, who taught me how to do my makeup. Right. I mean, to the point where by like our second show, I'm like, like, (laughs) got my face together. And I was just like, how this happened? Like, I went from being a person where I could count maybe on one hand how many times I had on a full face of makeup ever before in my life. Well, probably two hands. Right. However, it was the story. It was the story because. When you have to get in character um, for a play like this, and we we went there as a cast, we talked about the social conditions, right, of the time. Here it is, oh, Mister was born a slave, right? Mister was born right at the end of it, you know, and here it is, he's raising this young, beautiful black boy named Harpo, who doesn't, he's not touched by the institution of slavery. He gets to decide how he wants to perform masculinity and how he wants to be with his woman. 
and that does not look like dominating her, right? And we got into this really deep and necessary discussion on how black men learned how to be men from white enslavers and what does that mean, right? Mm -hmm. And then you start to understand why Mr. was violent, why he treated Celia a certain way. But the thing that I love about the stage play um, and the book is that you get to see Mr. Transform. You get to see him soften. You get to understand, you know, there's there's a part in the play where it's, I think it's called Mr.'s Nightmare, wow. where, you know, he literally is getting haunted by different people and they're saying certain things and then boom, you finally get to hear his side of it, right? And, just to be a part of that story, to be a part of Alice Walker's work, right? In, in, that, in that way was absolutely amazing. And, you know, there were times where emotions would, would take over because as part of the ensemble, um, I also had the honor of playing one of the djembe drummers in the second act, you know, for Africa. And that was another thing that I loved and appreciated about the Hawthorne players is that, you know, I went to costuming and I showed reference pictures and all of that because I I was like, yeah, some of some of this costuming isn't isn't on par with the times, you know, and everything. And they accepted it. And I remember being up at like one, two o'clock in the morning, like trading text messages with the costume department and we're going over references and she's going over fabric. And she's like, what do you think of this? And, you know, so to be a part of like that process yeah. um, was extremely beautiful for me. And it was one of those things where I called it in December of last year, because I was actually working as the spiritual and social care coordinator at the bullet related injury clinic here in St. Louis. And my medical director, Dr. LJ Punch, you know, I went to him and I said, you know, come May of next year, I'm going to start transitioning back to mm. my own organization and back to my art. And this is why I always tell people, be careful what you speak into the universe because God is like, y'all here? Okay, ancestors, okay, everybody unite. <laughs> and yeah, then, yeah. you know, you know, make, make the way for it, right? Because I didn't know that these auditions were coming up. If we want to talk about serendipity, um, I'm doing a documentary right now on Black Catholics because I grew up as a Black Catholic and I have a, a dear friend of mine, my homeboy, Sean Peters, we were having a conversation one night and, you know, it kind of came out that, you know, I was like, yeah, I grew up, you know, Catholic. And he was like, what? <laughs> and, and I was like, St. Louis is full of black Catholics. Like, and I'm not talking just like one, two generations. I'm talking like three, four generations. Yeah. Black wow. Catholic. So in short, us having kind of like that funny conversation because he went to Catholic school in Brooklyn, but there were no black nuns or priests at his school. So it just kind of blew his mind where he's like, yo, it's black people in the Midwest who have grown up Catholic. And I was like, yeah. So that sparked it. And one of the first people that I interviewed um, is Reverend Renee Finner. Reverend Renee Finner is, you know, a ex-black nun, she was a Roman Catholic nun, went over to be an Episcopal priest because that, you know, she felt that was her calling was to preach. And right now the Catholic church still doesn't allow women to be priests. So I'm interviewing her. And as we wrap up the interview, you know, she was like, you know, tell me a little bit more about you. And I told her about, you know, just the advertising stuff, the stuff with the black rep. And she was like, 
Well, you know, I'm an assistant director of the Hawthorne. What? what in the world? <laughs> of course, only you, only you had these stories. And she was like, so I would like for you to audition. Wow. For, you know, for the color purple. And I was like, <laughs> like, are you serious? Right. And, you know, as they say, it's officially black history. Like, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I audition, I make it. And, you know, and I'll, I'll share something with you and with everybody listening. I auditioned for Suge Avery. They called me back and had me, you know, read and do a couple more things. And I didn't get the role. However, I wind up assuming all these different roles, you know, but where it gets juicy for me and where a lesson came in for me, Jermaine Manor, who's the musical, you know, he's our musical director, brilliant musician, hands down. One of the, I haven't worked with a lot of, you know, music directors and stuff like that. But this, when I say this man is top of the top when it comes to encouragement, mentorship and honesty, right? He literally told me, he was like, if you were more confident in yourself and in your singing voice, you would have had that role of Suge Avery. He was like, believe in yourself, be more confident, right? Yeah, yeah. Because interestingly enough, I still, I was playing with my own mind and being like, well, I'm really not an actress. You know, I'm a writer. I have this background in advertising. I'm a poet, right? I'm not an actress. I'm not a singer like that. And here it was, he was like, mm-mm. He was like, you had it all. You had the, the energy and all of it. And he was like, but when it came time for you to sing, I could tell you start telling yourself certain things, right? Yeah. yeah. So that, that the experience of the color purple just, you know, for me, it really made me dig very deep into myself and hands down was one of the most vulnerable things I've ever done in my life. Um, and I finally saw what I look like with long hair with a wig. <laughs> <laughs> and makeup. And, makeup. and no yeah. glasses. Oh, right? wow. yeah, yeah, and that yeah. was the trippy thing, like performing with without glasses or contacts. It yeah. was it was a certain freedom in that too, because I was like, oh, everybody's blurry. Like, so. Yeah. I mean, also too, I mean, maybe, maybe glasses and, you know, there, but even a freedom in remaining authentic to character, because I mean, even at that time, the access to any of these tools that we have, it just was non-existent. So not to say that you want to do that much method acting or, you know, be there, but you know, that's something. Oh no, to, I had to. You had I, to. Yeah, probably. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah, it was in my character. Um, her name was <laughs> Viola Lemieux, right? Okay. Um, and and that's the other thing that I loved about the theater company. Like, even if you weren't like a like a main character, you still had to name yourself. We had to. It was one rehearsal where we literally had to get up in character and talk about who we were, oh, where we were from, and you know. So I. I dreamed up this character actually based on one of my great aunts. Wow. Right? And, you know, it was just one of those things where it's like, so what does it mean to be a light skinned woman to pop up in this town that you're not from and to acclimate yourself? How, how would you move? Who are you? Right. So that was, that was very interesting for me to, to develop, Viola and to pay homage to one of my great aunts who was just like 
super sassy, you know, like, and I I honored her for that. Um, But at the same time, it's like, how can I let this woman be and live in my body? Yeah. And and to me, that's what, it's one of those things that makes acting very beautiful to me. It's because you literally have to submit to this energy coming into you and being okay with that, right? And learning from that energy, right? And being present with that energy, so. Yeah, yeah, beautifully said, beautifully said. I mean, I think now that you have had that experience and you know, you you talk about being in your own head, which is, um, you know, once again, so vulnerable. I appreciate you sharing that. What are a few things or just maybe if it's even if it's one thing that somebody that is thinking about doing theater or somebody that is thinking about doing acting? I've always seen that stage and I'm like, that just looks so cool. But even me, I'm like, I can't I know I can't do it. I, I think you would be a great actor. No, no, I no, I. <laughs> Oh no. my God! I think you listen, man. I think you would tear it up, Justin. Like I am so serious, listen, so I mean, serious. I, well, I I appreciate it, but it would freak me out. But what I mean, <laughs> the, what would you tell someone? Because even I think what was new to me is like I didn't realize. I guess some people say there's a wear and tear even on your body because it's so many nights that you're having to perform. So. Are there any tips or things that you would tell people just to keep in mind if they are considering doing yeah. theater? Yeah. First, I would say just, just literally just go do it. Go right. Do it. Go to auditions. Observe auditions. Um, pull up some plays on YouTube and be with them, right? And see how people are embodying those characters, right? And interestingly enough, I was watching um, Helen Mirren's masterclass on the platform masterclass. And she says something very interesting because I was like, oh, she was like, she does not rehearse in the mirror, right? She does not look in the mirror to get into character or anything like that. And I was like, oh, that makes sense, right? Even though at first it felt a little counterintuitive because it's like, wouldn't you want to see the facial expressions? Wouldn't you want to? And it's like, no, what that does is it forces you to embody, right? It forces you to just say, okay, if I'm normally a person who kind of sits straight up, But if I'm in this character and this person has kind of a lackadaisical kind of personality, you know, what does it feel like for me to just start leaning in my body, right? How can I get comfortable with that? So it's just really about, for me, I would just say observe, 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 study, um, and then go audition and be okay with being rejected. Yeah. You know, and not being the right fit right because the more you do it it's like oh okay i can pick up things from here and there and you know and and just go for it yeah don't get in your head about it yes get in your head about it (laughs) yeah yeah, you never you never want to do that. But no, I'm I'm excited. And yes, thank you so much. But no, I'm gonna stick to lights. Like I said, if y'all need lights, <laughs> you need to I wanna I wanna be that that little off, you know, I wanna be a bit unhinged behind the scenes trying to work on different things. You know, I gotta keep it moving. So Yeah, I mean, no. listen, that is that is necessary as well because sometimes if you mess up lighting, you can mess up the scene. Yeah, yeah. So you know? it's there, yeah. it's there. Um, so you know, we call this a dose of black joy and caffeine because, you know, what people don't know about the show is the guests that come on the show are the joy because y'all just fill me up. And, you know, it's a makeup of people that I've known over years, whether that's we broke bread or we're going to see each other. 
But going into 2024, if you had to give a dose of anything to our listeners that you're like, we need a dose of this right now to keep on moving forward, what would you like to give our audience a dose of from you? Wow. We are living in some very trying times. Yeah. And I would say the dose that I would love to give everybody is remember your humanity, right? Regardless of faith practice, like remember and honor and start walking in that beautiful spirit thing that you are, right? Yeah. And to let that be a light, right? Because we are dealing with some really challenging, dark energies, right? And to let people in. Yeah. To really let people in to that energy with you. You know, but I, I would definitely say it's it's really about our humanity and keeping that that spiritual core a north star. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Thank you, thank you so much for sharing that humanity. I agree, and and uh, caring about each other, loving each other, and you know, continuing to be transparent. You know, according to Webster's Dictionary, I think it was Webster and or maybe it was Google, one of the two, but I think the most searched or looked up word uh, of this year, 2023, was authenticity. Mm. Uh, so I think that that's very telling um, <laughs> that people are, you know, so interested in that word per se. There's two yeah. things, sorry, you know, I'm a bit of a nerd. So word of the year and also Pantone color, I just can't seem to get away from. <laughs> I just can't get away from, I'm like, oh gosh, why am why is this me? Um, but those always uh, fascinate me. You know, I like to say on this podcast, it ranges from individuals that, you know, such as yourself that have years of creative experience and you've worked in so many different lanes versus people that are mid-level trying to corp climb the corporate ladder or even people that are just getting started. Um, and I think when you're getting started, you're either unsure of what's happening and or your first mistake or and, and whatnot. What do you remember about your first day at Burrell Communications? Woo. So I was actually living in Miami and flying up to Chicago for the week. Yeah. Fly back. Still to this day, I honor Burrell for doing that until they made me an official offer and then I relocated. So I think one of my first memories of walking into Burrell Communications was just like, holy shit, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember being like slightly shook to see Tom, right? Because it's one thing to hear about a person. And you know, when you walk into the agency, you walk through those glass doors and you know, the receptionist desk is there, right? And I was just like, this is wild. Like I look to my right, that hallway, that's, you know, the account team. I look to the left, that's like the creative team and traffic, well, what used to be called traffic. I just dated myself um, you know, and producers. And I'm just like, oh my God, I'm here. I did it. Mm. I don't know why I just got emotional over that. Oh yeah, no, yeah, yeah. It felt, it felt like, man, this is like a, a wild dream to be, yeah. you know? And sure enough, who come walking down the hall? 
Tom Burrell. And I was like, that man is a tower of a human being. <laughs> I'm like, I, I first remember thinking like, he's so tall. <laughs> like shit, nobody told me that detail, right? Yeah. And Tom has this deep, beautiful, rich, like if Tom's voice had a color, it would be like mahogany. Mm. And he was like, how you doing? And I was like, I'm Shiraz Gorman. I'm coming to be in the creative department. And he was like, welcome, do good. And then he walks away. And I'm just like, wow. And I think the sister who was working the front desk, I think her name was Sandy, Puerto Rican sister. <laughs> she just kind of looked at me like, <laughs> I was like, yo, this just happened. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and, and what hit me is that the thing I was kind of afraid of was nothing to be afraid of at all. What were you afraid of? Oh, meeting Tom. Like, you oh, know, just, okay. like, oh my God, like, let me remember my name, you know, like, let me not make an ass out of myself, right? Because at the end of the day, like, that's Tom Burrell. Yeah. And I was like, I owe this man, right? Like, all of us who are Black and in advertising, there's, you know, for me, I'm just like, there's a certain honor, you know, in, in meeting someone like that. And I was just like, Oh, that wasn't so scary, you know, <laughs> like, wow. You know, because at the time, Tom, Tom was not there day to day. He had moved on to be the chairman and okay. Sam McGee had officially had taken over. So, yeah, that's what I remember about my first day. Cause I think I got there earlier than everybody. And it was just <laughs> of like, you of course you did, you know, and I'm just trying to, you know, just like, let me get here and make a good first impression. Um, but like my first week, I remember I wore this gray t-shirt that had the black letters feminist. And here it is, shaved head. Um, <laughs> I used to carry it on my keychain. I used to have like a little mini etch sketch you know, and for people who know me, you know that I'm kind of fairly tattooed and, you know, that whole bit. Yeah. And I was just like, wow, I just feel comfortable. And it's okay. I'm, I'm okay with being my full self yeah. like, in this space. Right. So the first day, like shock and awe, like, wow. But my first week, you know, that's one of the things that like sticks out to me is that I had on this T-shirt with the word feminist across it. And it was like, you know, here I am. Yeah, yep, here I am. I love that. Listen, I love that. I saw that. And also, I, I, I feel that I appreciate you sharing that experience, you know, so, you know, final question before you get out of here and we need a part two because I want to be cautious. <laughs> time. Trust me, but you know I can talk. You know I can talk. Yeah, also, same you, here. Also, too, yeah. you know I can talk over a meal. And you know I've never been to the Louvre. Really? Never, ever. Oh, we got to change that. Yeah, yeah. In my entire life. So I would love to get down there just to eat. And I'm going to hold myself to it. So okay. I'm saying it on the podcast. Even listeners, next time you see me out in the streets, just make sure you ask me, say, Justin, <laughs> did you make that trip that you promised that you were talking about <laughs> to go? But um, what I love about that experience is like, you know, I mean, I think, I think, you know, if you, I don't know if you even were wearing glasses, but if you take off your glasses, you know, in that moment, and then you put them back on, it's like, whew. And then you kind of see, like, you, I mean, you, that's literally the foundation for, I think, everything of, like, what you're doing to date, you know, because you have to start somewhere. Yeah. Um, but I also think that we reach a point of our lives where just like with any house, we realize that it's time to rebuild. Yeah. So if you were going to rebuild your creative foundation for the next 
couple of years or upcoming years, and I gave you three blocks to continue to stack on top of each other, what three words would you put on each one of those blocks to rebuild your foundation for your next creative journey? Three words for, you know, or three blocks. First word, courage. Mm. Second word would be joy. Yeah. Um, third word would be integrity. Mm. Like I'm already an integral person. However, I feel as though that, you know, with social media and all of that, um, at times, I'm always curious on how people see themselves outside of the realm of the social media box and the personas that we assume at times to be present on these platforms, right? Yeah, yeah. And how often people, you know, kind of shy away from addressing certain things or showing a side of themselves or being highly, let me say this, being highly curated, like curating themselves. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. A point where I'm just like, I never want to get to that. I always want to be, I want to have that very solid foundation of who, who I am. Right. Yeah. For better or worse, baby. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's yeah. like, you no, know, I I want to be able to be like, yeah, that's me. Yeah. That's yeah. Me. yeah. <laughs> yes. you know? yeah, absolutely. I love that. I also think that when that is, it, it takes off, it takes off the expectation uh, that people even put on you or that you have on yourself. Cause it's like, I always say, don't, 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 no, 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 no. Don't put me on no expectation because I am, I'm flying free. But I think that when you are when you're curated to that standpoint, it's kind of scary because now you're living up to something without just being able to be, have that free will just in general, you know, and that free spirit there. So um, I like I like those three uh, words for sure. So I'm excited for you. Um, I, you know, I said this at the beginning of the show and I'm going to stick by it. I what is What's the saying? I said what I said, but I am so... <laughs> Happy to finally have you on here to, to not only reconnect and to reconnect outside of these walls, as we talked about, um, but you have um, always been um, somebody that I admired from a creative standpoint in terms of your approach, how much time you take with your creative work and execution, and I think your output, and also too, um, like I said, you're, you're just so highly spoken of and in so many rooms, whether you're there or not. So. Um, from me to you, thank you. Seriously, I really, really appreciate it. No, yeah, thank you. It is, it has been an honor to be on your show because I was like, wait a minute, he want me on the podcast? Okay. <laughs> of course. Like, woo. Okay. Got it. You know, thank you. You know. <laughs> um look, yeah. look, we we ready. Look, I had my I had my little <laughs> I can't even get to things, but yeah. Yeah, no, much, much, much appreciated, you know. And 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 now that I think about it, I want to swap out that last word. Okay. Because I don't want to have a word where it's like, no, that's what I all how I already move, how I what I embody. Yeah. I want to I want to swap it out for the word freedom. Mm. Right. And I, I just, I say that because at times I have to remind myself that I am free, right? That I, I don't have to constrain myself creatively, right? Yeah. And it's like, wait, I don't, I don't have to do the box thing, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'll swap out that last word for freedom. I like that. I'll take that. 
Oh God! See, you're gonna get me in trouble because you you changing words, and now my question box and hat is going off because <laughs> I, I I like that word, but really quickly, that but do do you feel like from a creative standpoint, we we get there to where we have to we have to remind ourselves of that word because you mm -hmm. know you mentioned Burrell and Wyden, and even with the play, I'm sure it's the same way. We still have our confines and the box, like the check the box, like we. We we have creative freedom, but we really don't. So I yeah. like that reminder of a word there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what is the best way that people listening can stay in contact with you, read more about your work? If there's an upcoming project that they want to collaborate on, where I also say this with a grain of salt, the guests that come on this show, people, it's out of their heart and out of their time. So please no expectations and also too if you end up in Shiraz box acting a fool i'm gonna come in there and start acting a fool <laughs> don't be messing with my friends y'all <laughs> don't be messing with my people but what's the best way if someone's interested in just following up on anything yeah i would just say go to my website it's shirazgorman.com i kept it simple okay. um and just you know go to the contact send me a message and you know, we can we can go from there. Um, and I would say definitely if there are if there are people out there who are listening, who mm -hmm. grew up black Catholic, um, yeah. definitely get at me um, because, yes, I'm starting here in St. Louis. But, you know, black Catholics are like all over the place. Absolutely. And I want to make sure. Yeah. And I want to make sure that in doing this documentary that I am doing justice by all the different types of stories of what it means to be black and Catholic, or, you know, are you just Catholic, right? It's like, yeah, yeah. you know, on the more conservative end, right? Might feel a certain way versus somebody who's more on the liberal end and, you know, you don't have to be a practicing Catholic. I'm not a practicing Catholic anymore. Um, so I would just encourage people to reach out to me if they would love to be a part of this project. Yeah, absolutely. And I would imagine even if you are, you know, somebody that grew up in an adopted home and your parents are like, you know, it's it's all different circumstances. So or went yeah. to Catholic school, you know, yeah. you know, there are a lot of black folks who are not practicing Catholics, but you know, went to Catholic schools and you still get introduced to Catholicity through that, right? So I'm I'm interested to know, you know, what is what is the impact um of growing up black and Catholic because I have not interrogated it for myself. This is also a project for me to interrogate yeah. what does that even mean? How did it set the foundation for you know, my, my spiritual formation and all of that. So yeah, I'm pretty excited. And for those who are listening, if you can identify and want to be a part of the documentary, reach out to me. Absolutely. And reach out to me too, you know, put that there. What I love about it is, and what this is, I think it's just, it's, it doesn't surprise me because I think this is true testament to like your work is that it's so it's so specific that I know the amount of detail and love and attention that you're going to give to it is different because it's not like you're trying to cover, you know, all these different things. But I do think anyone out there that is listening, you know, you can trust your story and you can trust how your story is going to be told. So I also want to say that because it is a very sensitive topic and, you know, you don't even if you want to talk about your story and you know maybe use bits and pieces of it i think that it's worth everybody's story being told so that's beautiful um i i don't want to put you on the spot so let me know if i'm going too much but you know i love a drop on the show um do we do we have like a, a, a we just also talked about freedom so i hope i'm not going back but is there a timeline or deadline that you're like or are you just looking at next year to kind of continue to build and yeah. And that's the thing about documentaries. It's like, yeah. you, you better know you're going to be in this anywhere in between a year yeah. to five years, you know, um, because I actually missed, he never got back to us, but um, the National Black Catholic Congress was this year mm -hmm. and it only happens every three years. Right. Um, so 
if if I want to have that a part of the documentary, yeah, means like 2026, 20, right? Yeah, and go yeah. capture, do interviews, get B roll, you know, like that whole bit. So I've just kind of like put it in my head, like this is going to potentially be a two three year process, right? That's fair. Yeah. So yeah. That's fair. Awesome. Well, you all heard it here first. Thank you so much for coming on. I, I truly do appreciate it. And thank you all for coming on. As always, stay safe, drink a ton of water, and remember that you deserve a dose of Black joy and caffeine. Until next time, I am a do.